Hey everyone, welcome to Goodbye Privacy. I am your host, James Azar. Make sure you follow me on Twitter, James underscore Azar1, where I give you all the latest, greatest of cybersecurity and privacy. Answer questions, interact with you guys. I love you guys for being our listeners, so make sure you follow me there, all right? On today's episode, we're gonna talk about Amazon. Everything you want under the moon and stars and skies. Everything you want from A to Z. But before we get started talking about today's episode and Amazon, we're gonna talk about patreon.com forward slash cyberhub engage where you can support our podcast whether it be this one right here our goodbye privacy podcast or our cyberhub engage podcast where we talk to chief information security officers from all over the world about how they're operationalizing cybersecurity in their organizations how they're making sure that our information stays private and secure and how we can support them in their mission to do just that now, being a loyal CyberHub Engage subscriber on Patreon gives you a bunch of really, really cool benefits. You get to watch this very podcast right here, Goodbye Privacy, live, interacting with me and Micah in the studio, asking questions, giving us feedback, and after I'm finished recording this very episode, people on Patreon, our subscribers now, will be able to ask me questions about today's episode, which we will only air to our Patreon subscribers. So if you've got questions, you want to interact with us on our episode, make sure you do that at patreon.com forward slash cyberhubengage. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash cyberhubengage. And you also get some free swag, so make sure you give us, you know, support. It's 10 bucks a month, guys, but you can support us for as little as a dollar. But if you support us for 10 bucks a month, you get to interact with me live on air, and you get all the fame that comes with being a Cyberhub Engage subscriber. So make sure, again, you go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Cyberhub Engage. Now, let's get to our episode today, Amazon. We all love Amazon. And I know I personally am addicted to Amazon. And Micah and I rely on Amazon a ton. We get a lot of our equipment through Amazon and Amazon has made it so it's really convenient for us to operate our business, get you all this great content while not having to run to a store and deal with a pesky employee to get a product we already know we want who's trying to sell us on a warranty we know we don't need. So getting to that though, Amazon has changed the way we shop and buy. It's been dominating the market, putting malls out of business, and changing the way retailers develop, right? Everyone's going online today. Macy's, just down the street from where we're recording here, has something called Macy's Technologies, which is kind of their answer. Macy's is now a technology firm. No different than a lot of the other companies like we spoke about last week. If you haven't seen the episode of last week, Amazon versus Walmart, make sure you watch it before you watch this episode. So if you're watching this episode first, stop. Go back. Watch Amazon versus Walmart because we're going to talk a lot about that here today, but today's only devoted to Amazon. So how did Amazon become such an empire? It's true. Amazon is the ultimate story of success. If you're an aspiring entrepreneur like myself, Micah, and others, if you're a fan of success stories, how can you root against Amazon? Jeff Bezos started this company in the garage or the basement of his home. He grew it to be a multi, multi-billion, trillion-dollar company. He did it all through entrepreneurship, drive, innovation, and disruption. The ultimate story that we're sold today for success. And for that, Jeff Bezos, I salute you. However, 
with the story of success is great and true, there lies an underbelly to Amazon. One that many of us are turning a blind eye to or simply we're not being informed about. And so those who are concerned with privacy should be worried about it. And let's start with this. Amazon started as a simple bookstore, right? You could go online, order books. And for years, for years, its acquisitions have all been around books, printing, making life easier, letting authors self-publish and giving them a platform where they can self-publish and promote themselves that's greater than it's ever been. And they've helped put authors on the map that may have not had a chance to do so. Again, all great things. One thing you should realize about me is I will call it out as it is. I'll always give you guys the truth. And where, the, where Amazon deserves credit, regardless of what we talk about later, they should get it. But where we need to hold Amazon accountable, we will all stand up as privacy, as concerned citizens against these data cartels, hashtag data cartels, and let them know that ain't cool. So here's where we get into this. They're an online bookstore. And in 2008, when they acquired Audible, and I just downloaded Audible, just got my first book, Ben Shapiro's book, Right Side of History. I'm going to be listening to it this Thursday and Friday, so I'll talk about his book next week on the episode, flying to Denver this week. So I'll make sure to listen to it on my flight. According to the timestamp of the book, I should be able to finish it all on my flight there and on my flight back if I don't fall asleep. And if Ben Shapiro's book's any good as his podcast, that might be the case. So... They acquired Audible, that was in the early days of apps and smartphones, realizing the trend that people are going to get more auditory and visual rather than the traditional books. And they gambled and they hit it out of the ballpark. Today, more people get their books through Audible and Amazon than any other source on the planet. They dominate the book market industry completely. This is a landslide. You know who goes to Barnes & Noble? People who like to people watch, people who like to read, executives, business owners who want a book, go to Amazon. Now, from bookstore, Amazon became an e-commerce platform and a giant one at that, where you can get anything you want, need, or wish for. Jeff Bezos understood one common concept of human psychology. And whether that was him, his staff, or anywhere else, they got this just right. We all love getting a package in the mail. We all love getting a letter in the mail. There is something great about getting a package and opening it up. It's like getting a present for your birthday. has the same exact impact. And Jeff Bezos understood that and went on a Prime to get you anything you want in two days through Amazon Prime at your doorstep. Again, another great service for us as consumers. I can order anything I want from the comfort of my home, and two days later, it's in a beautiful box, shipped at my doorstep. I can go outside, pick it up, go home, and I've got my product. But here's where some of the challenges start. Amazon realized early on that they had a lot of problems in their supply chain. Part of it had to do with shoddy third-party vendors they worked with, or people who realized that Amazon was really dependent on him and started jacking up the prices and so forth. And the story there is very detailed and you can research it and look it up online. There was part of Amazon's consolidation that was rightfully the smart business move to make. 
They started consolidating their supply chain by acquisitions and others, ways where they could actually control everything from manufacturing, at least that's what they did with books, all the way to delivery. Fact is Amazon now owns their own airplanes. They're relying less and less on FedEx and UPS and you're starting to see these cool Amazon vans for delivery coming out of their warehouses, realizing that they had more shrink and theft with UPS and FedEx and more damage. And in order to keep the customer, they were refunding us for it. Again, a great move by Amazon, but also some of these companies that do that. Now this isn't a fanfare on Amazon by no means, but this is just to say that the consolidation wasn't out of a scheme for some of these conspiracy theorists out there of dominating the world. This happened because Jeff Bezos wanted more than Amazon service mattered to him more than anything else. And realizing that he couldn't count on some of these partners, he went out and acquired that. Now let's think about this for a minute. Amazon owning its entire supply chain gives it control over everything it needs and it retains data on everything it has. But what does Amazon's supply chain and network really look like? How do these network of companies work and what are they? And do we know the difference when we interact with them? And I think that's a question that many of us don't know. So Amazon does have a network of companies from the traditional Amazon.com, which is where we go to order and buy anything we want, to Amazon.com Services Incorporated, another company within a set of companies of Amazon, but this is the Amazon.com Services, so you know the professional install that Amazon will send. If you buy a TV or a car for your kid, they tell you, hey, for 99 bucks, we'll install it for you, meaning someone will come in a van, drop off the package, and install it for you right then and there, day of delivery. A customized feature that you pay $100 for, for the shipping and installation. Not a bad deal for Amazon. Again, something that Amazon originally outsourced, then decided they were gonna do it themselves, but for liability purposes, they started a new company. That gets us to Amazon advertising. So we spoke about this last week. We've detailed it numerous times in our previous episode. Amazon owns a lot of online websites, a ton of them. Websites that we don't even know that are owned by Amazon and some of which are proud to be Amazon companies like IMDB, which is the number one site for people to go to when they wanna get a review on a movie or see the cast or see where the movie was shot or get an idea of it, review it or whatever. And for that, they started their own ad platform, not relying on anyone else. Again, this is a move of cutting out the middleman and owning the entire process from A to Z. Now, where does this leave small business? Amazon's recent holiday ad said 50% of things sold on Amazon are sold from a small business. That could be true, but they're only talking about a specific aspect of their business. And some of that is food related, boutique, flowers, or others. But really most of the big stuff that we order is manufactured and made in the same factories and shipped to Amazon warehouses where then it's put in a box and shipped to our home. Amazon Digital Services is where Amazon really capitalizes on the market. This is their TV and Prime TV service, that's Amazon Music, and anything to do with digital entertainment. This is a whole separate company, it's a whole separate division within Amazon, and that's their entire button focused. Then there's Amazon Services LLC. Well, James, what's the difference between Amazon.com services 
and Amazon services. Well, this is their professional services firm. If you want to hire a sales consultant for your business to help you set up an Amazon store, they sell that service, guess where? On Amazon. <laughs> and so this is Amazon really controlling the entire supply chain, but also separating liability from the mothership. Now here's an interesting one, Amazon Payment Services. Some of you may know this as APS, and APS seems like a very innocent payment company, but it's how Amazon actually controls all of its payment processing. Amazon doesn't process anything with any third-party providers, they process their own payments, meaning the credit card fees are controlled by Amazon. Then, and we'll get to this later on, Amazon Web Services, or as other people know it as AWS. And we're gonna to get to AWS later, but this is their cloud computing company. We're gonna talk about them later in this episode. And finally, there's Audible, their book listening company. And Audible is a whole separate entity and a separate company from anything else Amazon owns. Finally, these groups of companies is how Amazon distributes its services across all its sales channels and everywhere on the web. Now, what does this mean for us consumers? Well, one, while using Amazon is amazing, and we've spoken about that, and you're getting great products at amazing rates, and it's delivered right to your home, saving you gas and everything else that you would need and time to go out and get it. But now, this podcast is about your privacy. So let's address that. What privacy, if any, does Amazon provide to us consumers. So I took a deep dive into this, looked over their privacy policy, policy to see what Amazon does track and how it uses our information. Innocently looking over the five printed pages, you get the idea that our privacy is really important for Amazon. But in the section there where it says, how do you secure our information? Amazon gives three very unimpressive bullet points talking about how they protect our information. One, they talk about using encryption, SSL, security socket layer. And while this is a very, very popular term that's being used, it's also a way where they essentially shred the information that you put on their website 1,028 times and then send it through different pipes so no one can access it. If you've seen any of our daily doses of cyber, we did an entire episode how the Georgia State researcher have figured out that there's a market out there for the decryption key of TLS and SSL certificate, uh, encryption certificates, meaning people are actually able to buy the key and unencrypt this data. So as a security person, I expect more from Amazon when it comes to encrypting our data. Use the more updated data, stuff that makes it much more difficult for hackers to access it. That's not nearly sufficient. They also claim that they only share the last four of our social security, of our credit card numbers, I'm sorry. And it's protecting us against unauthorized access. And that's it. So Amazon's idea of securing our information is using a 10-year-old encryption model for online payment gateways, parts of the PCI compliance method that most payment providers have to comply with which hasn't been updated recently, but sure could use a wake up and a shake up. Then they say, you should really protect yourself against unauthorized access by doing a MFA, a multi-factor authentication. And while that's very true, but if someone can ghost your phone number, they can surely 
ghost and get that two-factor authentication. And finally, they state that they only share the last four digits of her credit card numbers. However, as I've indicated earlier, Amazon Payment Services is who we pay. So who are you sharing the last four digits of her credit card number with? All valid questions to be asked by to Amazon. Now, I was left very unsatisfied with those bullet points. Now, Amazon's a multi-billion, if not a trillion dollar company. And the best they can do to secure our information is this SSL encryption. And they address our payment information and authorize access by giving us details. I mean, after all, they make all their money from providing us a customized shopping experience. And where in their privacy policy do they talk about this? Here's the thing. Fact is, they don't. Their privacy policy and cookie policy discuss how they track every little thing we do on their website or any other website without any mention of defending this information. So if you're Amazon and you're tracking me, and I mean they're tracking every little thing you do. They're tracking where the mouse is on the page as you're scrolling. They're tracking where you get stuck at and what you're reading. They're customizing and they're studying every movement we make on their website or any other site for that matter through their cookie tracking policy. They're following us on social media, what pages we like and don't like. They're remarketing to us products that we like and don't like. Now here's the thing. Innocently, if you read this, Amazon says, we don't have to do all this. We do this because we care about you. We wanna customize this for you. We wanna give you more. We wanna help you. But if you choose not to do any of this, then you know, if you stuck something in your cart and you wanted to come buy it later, well, we can't guarantee that it's going to be there or that it's going to be there at the rate you originally booked it at. Meaning if prices went up three hours later and you didn't have our cookies installed and the product was $10 and now it's $15, we're sorry, but you're going to have to pay $15. So they're making us choose between our privacy online and getting prices and they're presenting it in a manner which makes you think you have no other choice but to agree. Now in Europe there's something called GDPR and a few episodes down the road it'll be a year to GDPR and I have a whole episode dedicated to just talking about GDPR. But GDPR stated that a citizen was entitled in the European Union to know how you're using his data and have the right to be forgotten. In the US, we have no such regulation. Fact is, under GDPR, if there's a breach, the company is required to notify us within 72 hours of knowing of said breach. In the US, these laws vary, and it can be anywhere from 30 days to 45 to 60 to 90 days, depending on the state you live in, meaning there's no universal data breach notification law. Something I know the NTSC, an organization I'm a part of, is working very hard on addressing through our legislature, legislator in Washington, D.C. But here's the part that's very, very disturbing. If you're collecting these extra byte, all this different data, these gigabytes worth of data on every single individual that's on Amazon.com, shopping or using Amazon services, Shouldn't our security be entitled to more than three lame bullet points, folks? And I want to point these out to you. I'm going to hold this on camera. See this section right here, how secures our information? 
That's it. That's how secure our information is on Amazon. On a piece of paper printed on black and white. Now all the rest here is what they're tracking and how they're tracking. All the rest here is examples of things that they collect and track and don't. And they do a very good job of detailing it, but they detail the very, you know, shallow stuff like, oh, we'll track your phone number so that we know that it's you. Why do you need my phone number? I've never once received a call from Amazon. I'd like if, you, if you've received a call from Amazon.com, please share it with me. Go to our mailbag at CyberHub Engage or go to Twitter and DM me or tweet at me and let me know that if you've ever received a call from Amazon because Amazon's never called me. I've been a loyal customer now for eight, nine years. I've never once gotten a call from Amazon. But here's the other part of this. Mobile devices. Most Amazon orders, according to their latest quarterly report, come from mobile devices. And they track everything on your phone. In fact, once you install an Amazon app on your phone, they're tracking everything, including your location. Now, I get why part of location tracking is for security, but that's not in here. Nowhere in here in their mobile do they say, we track your location and verify that if you were shipping something to Atlanta, Georgia, that you're really in Atlanta, Georgia when you order it. They say, we're tracking your location for the sake of tracking your location. We're recording it. For what purpose? I have no clue. But if you're from Amazon and you work for Amazon and you're part of their privacy team and you want to clarify this, I'll be glad if you let us know why you need our location on our phones and what's a legitimate reason for having it there. Amazon points, Amazon's point is to our profile to customize and track us and every information that they keep. You will see how I customize my privacy setting on Amazon. One, in terms of email communications and ads. I've went in and I've taken screenshots that Mike is going to stick here on the screen for you guys to see. One of which is our communication preferences. How do you want to be contacted by Amazon? How often do you want to be contacted by Amazon? And from what aspects? So Amazon makes it so that by default you're subscribed to all 82 different categories of Amazon products unless you go in and customize it. And going in to customize it isn't that simple. So you have to go to your profile, you have to go to your account, and then there's a box on the left-hand side of the screen and it says communications and then you got to click there and they make it so complex for you to customize it that it's practically impossible. The other part of it is do you want to get email communication about different advertisers, part of the Amazon advertising service, to which I personally selected no. If I want to buy something, I'll go to Amazon and do so. Now this is a way for them that no matter what information they track, they can't solicit me with it and tease me to buy it. Because that's also predatory behavior. It's so easy to order from Amazon, people don't think that they don't have money. People go, okay, I put it on my credit card. And they make it so easy. And when you go to check out, they're offering you their Amazon credit card. And saying, hey, you buy this today, you save $70 off your buy. People register, sign up for it. They get an enormous credit limit. They go on a spending spree. They order everything through Amazon. Fact is, I found some products on Amazon that I traditionally buy from Amazon that have increased with price over time. But then at Publix or Whole Foods, if I just walked in there, 
they're much cheaper. So I'm not saying that because Amazon ships a product to us, it should be cheaper, but the price should be comparable. Fact is, it's not. Fact is, pricing is sometimes twice or three times more expensive than anywhere else I've seen it. So it's not always to our benefit. So I urge you to start this by limiting the way Amazon tracks you and communicates with you and your loved ones until they can prove to us that they can secure all of the data that they collect and even then we should proceed with caution. And I'll explain why here in just a second. But before we proceed, I want to invite you to join us on September 11th, 2019 in beautiful Atlanta, Georgia for the annual CyberHub Summit. CyberHub Summit is the go-to cybersecurity conference for executives and those passionate about security. This conference isn't another conference with panels and speakers, but rather CyberHub Summit focuses on helping attendees experience cyber different. This year, CyberHub Summit has an amazing agenda of how we can all work together to address the various cybersecurity challenges on topics like Homeland Security, FinTech, and Industrial Control Systems. All three of these are critical to our national infrastructures and the way we live and do business. Together this year, we will address very, uh, we'll address various ways we can plan ahead and be prepared to address these attack vectors. Make sure you go to cyberhubsummit.com forward slash James. Again, cyberhubsummit.com forward slash James to pre-register now as this summit tends to sell out early. Tickets go on sale May 15th, so be sure to again go to cyberhubsummit.com forward slash James to pre-register so you can be the first to get your hands on the most desired cybersecurity ticket in the world today. Now, back to Amazon. Remember how earlier I was talking about Amazon and I mentioned something called AWS, Amazon Web Services. Sounds very, very innocent. But in Amazon's growth strategy, the brass of Amazon figured that they needed to get into the cloud computing space. And they launched this very early on in Amazon's history. In fact, in July of 2002. But they didn't have a lot of success back then. In fact, many within Amazon anticipated that it would be successful. But in March 14th of 2006, Amazon relaunched AWS with multiple new products and reported that with this new launch, they have over 150,000 developers that have signed up to use Amazon and Amazon Web Services. Now, for those who don't understand why I'm talking about AWS, let me explain this for you this way. AWS is the backbone infrastructure of the internet. Many Fortune 500 and 1000 companies use AWS for their data storage, to host their websites, to host their apps, and develop their technologies for any of their internal or external infrastructure. The market of cloud computing is estimated to be worth around $70 billion a year. Now, why does this matter for us privacy fighters and advocates and people that are concerned about privacy? Because Amazon has successfully monopolized this industry. And according to recent reports from Synergy Research Group, AWS has over 35% market share. Microsoft and their Azure product is in second place with only 15% followed by Google and IBM in third and fourth place with under 10% market share. AWS's revenue from the cloud computing space is around $7.4 billion annually. 
and it's been growing 40% year over year over the last few years. Now, you may be asking yourself, James, why do we really care? They're very successful. Well, as Amazon's been expanding aggressively in the cloud space, they realize that whoever owns this space will run the internet. They also know that owning this space ties all other organizations into Amazon, giving them a lot more pull in the future. Furthermore, Amazon and AWS have spent hundreds of millions of dollars betting on U.S. government business and are in fact winning U.S. government cloud business in this space and they're dominating the federal space. Fact is, they're winning contract after contract, beating out most of their competitors, not only in price, but in quality and security that the federal government seeks. In 2013, AWS was awarded a federal contract with HHS, Health and Human Services, and FEMA. And then later in 2013, it won a $600 million contract with the CIA. And in 2014, Amazon received Department of Defense authorization to operate in all U.S. regions. In 2015, realizing the dramatic and drastic growth that Amazon had, it started its own conference called reInvent. And in the reInvent keynote, uh, Amazon disclosed that they have over 1 million active customers every month in over 190 countries including over 2,000 global government agencies, 5,000 educational institutions, and 17,500 nonprofits all use Amazon Web Services for all their web needs. They have the market cornered. Furthermore, just this year, it was reported that 80% of all Germany's listed DAX companies use AWS. They have the market in Germany cornered and dominated. 80% of the publicly traded companies in Germany use Amazon. And as of 2019, AWS has distinct operations in 20 geographical regions, six in North America, one in South America, five in the EMEA, Middle East and North Africa market, and eight in Asia Pacific. Last week, when we spoke about the war between Amazon and Walmart, we talked about how Amazon has been blowing everyone out the water. And they're doing the same exact thing in the cloud space. And they're not just winning the cloud war, they're dominating it. And you may ask yourself, why should we care? And here's the thing. In, 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 in retrospect, when you look at this, you realize Amazon's doing really well. They are. They're providing a great product at a great price. People want to work with Amazon. And that's exciting. And that's great. But where's the line? When does it become too big to fail? That's the question. So as citizens concerned about privacy, we are witnessing our information being stored in one place, Amazon. Most internet traffic runs through one of Amazon's businesses. They have more online power than any other company on the planet. Amazon is not only a shopping powerhouse, but it is an online infrastructure powerhouse as well. 
they host, store, process, and maintain data for thousands, and you've heard this, thousands of organizations, and not only public and private companies, but also governments. When does this information get leveraged against those people? Do we trust a privately held company to have all this power? How do you balance this power? And do we need to have a balancing power to this? And here's another part to it. When they're having all, they have all this information and processing power, Amazon competes with Netflix for viewers in the streaming service. And here's the thing. Netflix actually uses AWS to host its services and stream its content. In fact, if you remember about four years back, Netflix had an outage. That outage was attributed to an AWS interruption in service. Now, Early on during the Obama administration, one of the things that was a constant thing we talk about was net neutrality. And we were addressing the need to have regulation in place to not allow unfair use or slowing down of connection speed to anyone. But what about processing power and storage? Could Amazon topple topple its competitors during peak usage times? Could they limit features for specific firms? And as they continue to grow and dominate the different marketplaces they own, does having all this computing power give them an unfair advantage over their competitors? Meaning, if Amazon's cheaper and better than Microsoft, Google, or IBM, does that corner me if I want to compete with Amazon? What does that mean for the small guy? More than ever today, we need to have an internet regulator that can help address some of these challenges online and some of these online monopolies. And they need to ensure that there's fair competitions and fair rules and there's rules to the game to be played. The challenge today is many people look for this regulator to be the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC. But can that body like the FTC, a very old body in the US with a lot of bureaucracy, handle this task? Now, if you're new to the CyberHub Engage podcast family and to this specific podcast, if you go to CyberHub Engage in your favorite podcast store and you look up an interview I recently did with former LabMD CEO Michael Daughtry, where we spoke about the 11-year cyber attack, an attack derived by the Federal Trade Commission on a very small business here in Atlanta, Georgia, that has cost Michael over $15 million and his business only to be proven right in federal court last year and beat the FTC. So can we trust this power, this bureaucratic power that chases the powerless, companies like LabMD, to actually take hold and regulate giants like Amazon, Google, Microsoft, IBM, and others? This is where we need Congress to step up. This is where we need our elected officials to step up and come forward with some ideas. And maybe, and I'm not for this because I'm all for small government, but maybe it's time we established an internet agency that really regulates the internet and writes our internet bill of rights. Because our old bill of rights gave us rights that are undeniable to any American living in this country. 
And that same Bill of Rights has been a model for other nations and other citizens across the world who fight for their freedom. But as we become more internet reliant and more reliant on our devices, and so many companies vie, store, process our information and our private information, can we trust one company that's dominating the market today like Amazon to have all this power and use it mightily? One may remember Google's early mantra of do no evil. Today, that mantra no longer exists within Google. And in fact, its employees kind of hold a moral standard that helps right the ship when the company tries to steer off base. But they don't always know what they're doing. And they don't always know what the company has in store. So it's come time that we look at this and address this. Because as more of us transition online, as Amazon gets more power, and as all these other agencies get more power, now is more than ever, we need to establish an internet agency that actually knows what it's doing and appoint the right people to run this agency, hire qualified people. One thing that is undeniable about the last two U.S. presidents, like it or not, was that they hired people that they thought were best for the job. They didn't go after bureaucrats and career politicians. They went after doers. When Obama was trying to modernize the U.S. government online, he went to Silicon Valley and hired a bunch of people. Trump has done the identical thing. He's hired business people to run departments in hopes that they can modernize and transition the government to operate more like a business. But time has come to look at these agencies that have been doing this for ages and really judge the merit of their mere existence. And judge this merit not by career bureaucrats that occupy, the, occupy their seats forever, but judge them by what they really are, incompetent of being able to recognize the trends that are happening in the market and protecting its citizens and ensuring that there's fair competition. Fact is that if Amazon took a small business out of business tomorrow, the small business would have no repercussion outside of a complaint that wouldn't see the light of day. Fact is, Amazon's a multi-billion dollar company and that small business might be supporting a small family and making sure that they have a roof over their head and food on the table. So if you're asking me what we need to do, we need to start a movement against these data cartels. It starts by sharing this, listening to it, and going to our elected officials and holding them accountable to the fact that we need to address this. We're not against business. I was never against Amazon establishing a $25 billion investment in New York. In fact, I look at AOC and some of the moves that were made there, and I displurge it greatly because Amazon is employing people and paying them a fair wage. And Amazon does have great benefits. The point I want to make is someone needs to police this. And at this time, there's no one in power or anywhere that is able to police what's going on. And eventually, these companies are going to be bigger than government and bigger than all of us people. And at that point, that is a dangerous time when one company, one person has so much power. We've seen it in our history before in human history. And we're, we're about to see it today as the world transforms to become more online. That's it for our episode today. Next time in Goodbye Privacy, Facebook battles for its future. Can Facebook really transform privacy online, as Mark Zuckerberg has said?
All of that and more next week on Goodbye Privacy. Make sure you follow us online at CyberHub Engage on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, where else are we at? Twitter, Snapchat. No, we're not on Snapchat. We're on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And LinkedIn. CyberHub Engage. Make sure you follow me on um, Twitter, James underscore Azar1. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.